On this episode of Life at the Ballpark, you'll hear the story of a man who was on the ground floor of a wacky idea that would forever change the way we watch sports on television. He walked over to me, he said, what do you think of the title? I said, trendy, don't you think? ESP, when you research it, I think you're going to find 100 companies named ESP. He said, okay, let's put an N on the end of it. And it became Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. And you are on the ground floor. Exactly. Welcome to the podcast, Life at the Ballpark. Sharing stories from players, coaches, scouts, and broadcasters about their lives in baseball. From the sandlots to the big league ballparks. This podcast is coming to you from spring training at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium in Jupiter, Florida. Spring training home for the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlins. Hi, I'm John Frost, and today my guest is Lou Palmer. Thank you, John. First of all, I'm honored to be your first guest. My very first guest. On the podcast. You yeah. could have gotten anybody. You could have gotten Lady Gaga. <laughs> well, <laughs> you decided you know, on me. That, there's always that possibility, <laughs> isn't there? Well, yeah. Lou Palmer has a historic broadcast career, 50-plus years, I'm sure, maybe longer than that. Uh, well, if you uh, want to really go back, 1959. 1959. So, so I'm, 60 years. You, you, you do the math. Yeah. That's broadcasting, sports broadcasting primarily, but lots of different yep. broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And you, of course, had a different life with running baseball leagues, and uh, you and I have known each other for 20 years here at Roger Dean. Not only is he the official scorer for the St. Louis Cardinals, but he's also one of the public address announcers like I am, and we split duties during the Florida State League. Always work well together, John. I just want to say that right up front. I've been here since 98, when the stadium first opened. You mentioned being in the broadcast business, either radio or television, for 60 years. The very first station I worked for, I went there as a staff announcer at KHS Hastings, Nebraska. And what do we do the American Legion World Series was held in Hastings, Nebraska that year. And we got to broadcast it and fed it to 12 different markets. So I said, wow, I think I like this idea. <laughs> I think I'll concentrate on sports. But a modern day audience where they see sports on TV 24 hours a day, every game you can see, the world was very different in 1978 and 1979. And you were a part of history. I want you to share a little bit of that story. All right. Well, to begin with, I was hired by the founder of ESPN, whose name is Bill Rasmussen. Bill was a hockey announcer. They didn't particularly care for his play-by-play style, and uh, they kicked him upstairs. He became director of communications. Now, Bill, as director of communications, was trying to get Whalers hockey games onto one of the commercial stations. And I had been working for Channel 3, WTIC-TV, and radio, And there was no way we were going to go with Whalers hockey because we had that great lineup, uh, especially on Saturday nights with, you know, Mary Tyler Moore and and the Jeffersons and all in the family, et cetera, et cetera. He went back to the Whalers and said, you guys got to consider cable. It's the coming thing. Not only did they not appreciate the potential of cable, they fired him (laughs) from his job. Now he comes over to me where he recorded his commercials for the Whalers And he said, would you be interested in a little side venture that I'm working on? I said, always willing to listen. He said, there are 19 Connecticut cable systems. I want to do a cable interconnect involving all 19 if we do all of the college uh, sports events. 
And that would be Yale and UConn, Southern Connecticut, you know, all of the schools, Trinity, Wesleyan, et cetera, et cetera. I said, okay, fine. About two weeks later, he came to me and he said, can you get out to Muzzy Field? Muzzy Field was a minor league uh, ballpark and they were a farm club of the Boston Red Sox. Okay. And he said, I want to put a couple of innings on tape. John, it was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. I think the cameramen had never seen not only a baseball game, they'd never even seen a sporting event. I mean, the ball went to center field and we're looking at the dugout, you know. <laughs> After it was over, I said, Bill, you got to be kidding. He said, no, don't worry about it. We'll clean it up. I'm just looking for something to present. Well, long story short, in presenting his idea to the various colleges, he went out to the University of Connecticut. The athletic director there was a brilliant man named John Toner who later became president of the NCAA. John said, you know, Bill, if you can put together a slick package and tell the NCAA what you'd want to do, you can go national with this thing. And of course, Bill's ears perked at that point. He got himself a backer. It was an outfit outside of Philadelphia named KF Suite. And they got long-term financing and Getty Oil came along. I said, Getty Oil? Holy mackerel. They own like a hundred companies. So that's how it got started and became ESP at the beginning. He walked over to me, he said, what do you think of the title? I said, trendy, don't you think? ESP, when you research it, I think you're going to find 100 companies named ESP. He said, okay, let's put an N on the end of it. And it became Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. And you were on the ground floor. Exactly. Yeah. I was. I, he gave me a title. He said, in order for you to leave TIC, he said, I got to match what you're making here. Yeah. I said, okay, that's fine. He said, so I'll give you a title, director of programming. I said, I don't want to do that. I'm an on-air guy. Well, at the beginning, we had a package of UConn events through John Toner, basketball, football, field hockey. We had all baseball, all kinds of events. And the very first event there was a, I'll call it an exhibition basketball game. The UConn team against athletes in action. They're a group of touring Christian athletes who play basketball games and promote their religion. And that was the first event. The second event was the next morning, a soccer match. And it involved UConn and the University of Rhode Island. It was the first two events uh, on ESP at the time, then later ESPN. My gosh. And you were, I believe, you were on the very first sports center. Is that correct? I was. I was on a side set. I remember doing a, a piece with a, a wide receiver from Stanford by the name of Ken Margarum. I had no monitor. The monitor was completely gone. I had no IFB. That's that little thing we wear in our ear to hear from the director, producer, and the other talent. That was gone. And I had a floor director who couldn't count, to be honest with you. He said, coming to you in 10 seconds, six, three, you're on. One of those. <laughs> and I got lucky. It was a sound on tape, or we call SOT in the business. I had 20 seconds of video action of Ken Margram, and I got lucky and hit it. Other than that, the entire show was a disaster. We went almost five minutes with no audio. Chuck Fairbanks, who was the coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, they were playing Oregon the next day, the very first football game and naturally on tape delay because there was an arrangement between NCAA and ABC television where you could not do a live football game, college football game, till 1.30 in the morning Eastern time. No audio. So Jerry Gross, who is the announcer from San Diego, is interviewing Chuck Fairbanks and all we're getting is lips moving. <laughs> no audio. 
Well, it was disaster. Now, they didn't know what to do because, you know, at NBC, they'd go to a film chain or a commercial or something. We didn't know where to go. Right. So this was obviously the days before 24-hour news, before 24-hour weather. And now we had one channel that was all sports. People must have thought you were crazy. Oh, yeah. And and some of the events that we had to uh, put on the air are events that I guarantee you nobody but the people who played the sports ever saw. I mean, there were, you know, full contact karate and uh, Australian rules football. I remember that out, one. Oh, that was a I cult remember. following. And you had to fill lots of hours. Oh, yeah. We did not go full time, by the way, until... The first broadcast of Sports Center went on September the 7th, 1979. September the 1st, 1980 is when we went full time. Oh, okay. Before that, we started. Sports Center was 15 minutes, then a half an hour, then an hour, then we went 24 7. Right, right. So the, the jackets that you wore on the Sports red ones? Center, the red ones. Oh, yeah. Now, that was because of what? Getty oil. That was the color for Getty oil. Sure. And, you know, the cameraman said, oh, my gosh, you guys are blooming out there, you know, when when you get too sharp a a picture. Right. But uh, it all worked out. We eventually got going. And now, of course, uh, it's the rest is history. It is history. It's broadcasting history. It's sports history. And it changed the way sports is televised. Yeah. Well, I survived there by doing soccer. John, what I knew about soccer, you could put in the, the head of a, a thumble pin, you know? I mean, it was really ridiculous. So I walked in to see Chet Simmons and Scotty Connell, who were number one, number two in sports at NBC Sports. I said, look, I know who you are. I would like to introduce myself to you. It says here I'm director of programming. I'm not. I am an on-air guy. I said, I do a lot of different things, and I think I can help you if you'll let me stay here basically. And they said, oh, well, we're looking for a soccer play-by-play man. Soccer play-by-play. You got to be kidding. I said, I don't even know the sport. I don't like the sport. And they said, wait a minute. Kurt Gowdy was assigned to the Russian hockey team during the Olympic Games. And a guy from Wyoming could not pronounce those Russian names, but he was wonderful on it. And he said, if a guy from Wyoming can do Russian ice hockey, you can do soccer. Besides, we'll get you the best color man in the country. And they did. His name is Seamus Mallon. He's still, as far as I'm concerned, I think he's still doing soccer. But he's done World Cup and, you know, all the rest. And uh, I I was very honest with him. I said, Seamus, I don't know anything about this sport. I said, but I'm a play-by-play guy. I'm a quick study. And I need to pick your brain. He thanked me for his honesty. And from that point on, we got along famously. We'll return to life at the ballpark right after this. Business owner, what do your callers hear when you place them on hold? Silence or a staticky radio that could advertise your competition? When business is on the line, turn hold time into soul time. Get a custom message on hold now at messageonholdnow.com. Messageonholdnow.com. And now back to our conversation with Lou Palmer on life at the ballpark. Lou has had a uh, historic career, 50 years plus where he was on the original launch of ESPN, the original Sports Center, and has spent all of your life, uh, most of it, announcing sports. And you have announced some very odd sporting events in your time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned a, a few of them, a full contact karate. I did, <laughs> and, and we almost did not make it after this one. I did a quadrangular gymnastics meet out at UConn. Four schools, I even forget the other three schools, but I know UConn was in it. 
And we had three cameras, which I had to arrange, by the way, for the production crew. I did everything. I wrote the copy. I did the announcing, et cetera, et cetera. Because who else was there? Nobody else, you know. So we did the event. And about six minutes, I'm going to say, into the event, two of the three cameras went down. So now we have one camera to do a gymnastics meet in which, as you know, there are like three or four events going on at the same time. Well, we now had to do it as a linear event. It took pretty close to six hours. <laughs> and we wound up in the middle of the morning, you know. The next day when I walked into our headquarters, which was now uh, United Cable of Plainville, the guys there went crazy. They said, wow, what a telecast that was. Well, I didn't realize it at the time. They were talking about a young lady who was an injured gymnast from Yukon who was a uh, rather shapely young lady, and uh, she had to carry the scores from uh, one event to the scoring table, and she kind of had a wiggle when she walked, and the guy said, wow, if that's what you guys are going to put on, a network is going to succeed. Well, I was embarrassed by it, but, you know, actually it, it got us some notoriety at any rate. Now, before we wrap up, I would be remiss in not mentioning that you played professional baseball. I did. I played uh, two years of pro ball. People never heard of Class D, but that's where I played. That was in the Giants chain, the New York Giants. The following year, they moved out to San Francisco. Second year, I was in the White Sox chain, which was C-ball. But when I was in the Giants chain, my deal was after I had been with the club 30 days, I was to receive the second half of a huge bonus. $500. (laughs) Today, $500. Bat boys, I think, make that during a game. Anyway, uh, the manager of the team, who was a good field, no-hit shortstop named Buddy Kerr, said, the Giants want me to send you to Hastings, Nebraska. And I don't even know where that is. (laughs) I asked for my release, went home, had a great summer. White Sox signed me. They sent me to the Northern League where no one should ever play baseball, John. I mean, it's 28 degrees and snowing every night, you know, Mm -hmm. right on the lake, by the way. Now, to get into broadcasting, there were three opportunities I had. One was Ely, Minnesota, where it's 50 below zero in the summer. The second was Honolulu. And my wife and I were newly married, and she said, oh, too far. I said, Honolulu. She said, it's not even a state yet. And I said, but it will be. The third, guess where? Hastings, Nebraska. So I looked toward the heavens and I said, all right, Lord, that's where you want me to go. That's where I'm going. That's how I got into broadcast. My goodness. Tell me about how Lou Palmer fell in love with baseball. I was a kid in a baseball household. My father was a Yankee fan. Uh, My oldest brother was a Red Sox Ted Williams fan. My middle brother was a Dodger fan, Brooklyn Dodger fan. So I went to all three of the New York area ballparks. What a place to grow up. Mappetsville, Polo Grounds. What a place. And I was keeping score when I was nine years old. My brother taught me how to keep score. And I grew up listening to Mel Allen and and Red Barber and uh, Connie Desmond and Russ Hodges and people of that ilk. And uh, in the back of my mind, I always had a plan B. If I don't make it as a ball player, get into the ballpark for free. And that's why I turned to uh, baseball broadcasting. Well, you've had an amazing career. I've been thrilled to work with you for 20 years here at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium. You and I both share a love of baseball. You're a wonderful storyteller, and I'm so glad that you could be my very first guest. Again, Lady Gaga was available, but you didn't call her. (laughs) Thanks to Lou Palmer, and we'll see you next time. My pleasure, John. 